Well, it is a pleasure to have Wayne Litson, his wife Sheila, and their family with us. I'm not going to try and name all the children. We do appreciate them being here, but uh, they are uh, missionaries out of, now that's True Light Baptist Church now, isn't it? Changed name. True Light Baptist Church in Litson, Indiana. That's where the Danfords are from as well. We won't hold that against them. But uh, anyway, uh, it's good to have them with us. They're missionaries to Japan. They have been there 12 or 13 years uh, working with another uh, family, but now they're preparing to go back, uh, hopefully sometime in the summer of this fall, and uh, start a work of their own in Kushiro, Kushiro, something like that. Yeah, I, I Googled it, you know, so I had to write pronunciation. I still can't get it right. But anyway, it's a pleasure to have them with us, and uh, so... Um, you know, the rest of the service is yours, uh, and um, you know, may may have some time for questions. Uh, but anyway, it's good to have you with us. I did have one meeting where someone came up and pastor got up and he took a drink of my water. <laughs> it was a short message because I I ran out of <laughs> I needed something to drink and I wasn't drinking out of that. So <laughs> I was good to be here tonight. Uh, I am Dwayne Wilhites, my wife Shelley, and. Uh, if you got a prayer card for one of the, we'll have a quiz at the end on the names of the kids and their birth dates, which I probably won't even pass. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> I was talking with a fellow this morning, and he said he had an uncle that that uh, had 11 children, and this fellow was, uh, I'm sure he was in his 80s, and his uncle had 11 children, and he would take them, he'd take the kids to the hospital every once in a while, and he'd take one of them, and, but he had nicknames for all of them, and uh, so... He took him to the hospital, and they said, what do you call him? He said, well, his name's Shug. And he's like, no, what's his real name? He's like, Shug. This is what I call him. And uh, I talked to my wife about it and said, yeah, he just couldn't remember what the name, real name was. <laughs> Anytime I have to call the hospital, they want to know what the birth date is. And they're looking at me like, are you really this, this kid's parent? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I just I can't remember his birthday. <laughs> I know it's in May <laughs> sometime. Uh, but we are at a first, uh, yeah, first night I almost did it there. Uh, was First Baptist Church, now True Light Baptist Church in Lisbon, Indiana. And uh, we've been in the field of uh, Japan and the island of Hokkaido. Uh, Hokkaido kind of looks like a sea, or Japan looks like a seahorse, that head island up there. It's Hokkaido, uh, a little bit north on uh, the parallel uh, from where we are here. We get about uh, uh, 20 to 25 feet of snow every year. And uh, so a little bit, little bit colder uh, <laughs> where we're at. But uh, it's... Uh, it's home to us, you know. It's and uh, this is our second furlough back in 13 years, and and people tell us welcome home, and it's like we're not home. <laughs> you know, it's going to be back sometimes, ish. You know, but but uh, but our hearts are in Japan. Uh, we began working with Brother Randy Smith uh, for the first two years. We just intended to work with him as as uh, uh, learning the Japanese language and kind of helping out at Emmanuel Bible Baptist Church there in Nyoto, and. Um, uh, God's just kept us there uh, for these past almost 13 years, and it's worked out well. I've, I've, uh, I've really in, enjoyed uh, being there. I'm not a very type A personality. Uh, some of the best uh, years uh, of my life were working with Brother Danford when he was the pastor and I was doing an internship at, at our, our church in Lisden, and uh, just staying in the background doing things so he could focus on the ministry. And uh, that's my personality. I kind of like that. So uh, there in in uh, Japan, we've been working with the Smiths, and uh, Brother Smith focuses on on uh, preaching and pastoring church, and and I get to go out and have the privilege of going to towns and villages and pass out tracts and reach people with the gospel that have never uh, handled it or heard it before. 
and it's the greatest job on the face of the earth. Uh, I get to uh, knowing that that uh, that I'm handing out a John of Romans, or I'm handing out a gospel track, or I'm preaching to somebody, or uh, telling them the gospel is the very first time they've ever heard it or handled it uh, is a blessing, and uh, and I love it. People have asked us, you know, uh, had supporting churches, you know, call and ask if you want to think about pastor in their church, and I don't have to pray about it. You know? <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, I believe that God's got us where He wants us. So, uh, This furlough is supposed to be the furlough that we report and all the great things that happened on the Olympics last summer, uh, which didn't happen. And uh, so uh, our goal was to go back uh, to Japan in June of this year and uh, get back in time for the Olympics coming up, should they happen. Um, but the way it's going, it doesn't look like there should be much of a ministry opportunity for us. Uh, the, uh, the Japanese government just put out a, a 33-page preliminary uh, guidelines for the Japanese or for the Olympics for the athletes coming in, um, and they're pretty much going to be contained in the Olympic Village and not allowed to really go anywhere in the country. Uh, and so uh, they probably won't have any foreign uh, spectators coming in. Uh, so that kind of defeats all that we were hoping and planning on doing. Uh, we're praying, and we're still praying, that the Lord opens up the opportunity. Uh, it's a great great opportunity to have the whole world come to you to be able to reach them with the gospel. And so we had a couple of different ministry teams plan on coming over and working the two weeks of the Olympics. And uh, But uh Lord has his reasons. And uh, so uh, right now, for us to go back in June, we'd have to quarantine in country for two weeks in Tokyo. Can't take any public transportation for those two weeks, which means we can't fly to our island or uh, take the ferry across or anything. So... Uh, we'd be stuck in one of the most expensive cities on the face of the earth <laughs> at our expense for uh, two weeks in a hotel uh, with catered food. So uh, we're not those kind of missionaries. We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> so uh, if we were, we wouldn't be here, you know, <laughs> uh, talking to you all. But uh, we, we just, uh, uh, so we're praying and asking the Lord to open the doors when it's time for us to go back. Um, and it looks like. Uh, they're, they're saying that after the Olympics happen, they may relax some of the, the restrictions on people coming in as more people get vaccinated or whatever. And so we're praying to that end. Trust the Lord has his timing on everything and, and uh, we're willing to go back whenever he, he has us go back. So uh, we are uh, last uh, October, our family, we took a trip, family vacation. We hadn't done that in, I don't, you know, or yeah, a year ago, October. Uh, we took a, a family vacation down to uh, the Kushido area. That's about five hours south of where we're at. It's on the southeast corner of the island. And we had never been down that way. Uh, the spiritual reason I went down is because I found a log cabin that had electricity if my family could fit in for 50 bucks a night. Uh, so uh, we thought, that's the will of God right there. Uh, uh, finding In Japan, finding anything that our family will fit in is, is next to a miracle. So uh, so we went down there. It's a little, little uh, town just outside Kushido. Uh, we did take some uh, John and Romans with us. You're, uh, no matter where you're at in the ministry, you're never on vacation uh, out you know, from the ministry. And uh, we got down there realizing that those people probably hadn't have had the gospel given to them at all. So, so we went through a little town and passed out gospel tracts and some John and Romans and realized that they were uh, a lot of idolatry, uh, more so than up where we're at in Nyoto. Uh, every house that you go in, there's an entryway, kind of like a mudroom where you take your shoes off. And every house had some sort of symbol or some sort of Shinto uh, items to keep demons away and, and to bless the house. And, and uh, that, that really bothered me, really burdened me. And so uh, in 
Our island, we have five and a half million people. There's 126 million people in Japan, five and a half million on our island. And there are about 11 gospel preaching churches for five and a half million people. I was talking with the pastor this morning that we were with, and he said that uh, they started the church where they're at because there wasn't a, wasn't a King James Bible preaching church within you know, a 30-mile radius of where they're at. I said, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great problem to have. Uh, but uh, so where we're at, uh, we're down there, and, and there, was a, there was a Southern Baptist church in town, still uh, Southern Baptist church there in Kushido. We drove through, and I talked with the pastor because we're going to be there on Sunday and uh, uh, our doctrine and, and our uh, standards and everything were just way too far off. We couldn't, we couldn't go and, and be comfortable there at all. And so uh, we just had time with our family on Sunday morning. The next closest church is three and a half hours away. And uh, that pastor, I called him. He was, he's in his 80s. He was asking for someone. It's in the city of Kitami. He was asking for, he's been asking us for years to, to come or anybody to come and take over his church for him because he knows his days are numbered. And, uh, but the Lord's never led that way. And for us, anyway, and uh, we're looking, there's a group of believers about two hours to the west of Kushido in the town of Obihiro. Uh, and uh, in Obihiro, they're, they've been, uh, they don't have a pastor, they don't have a church, just a few uh, believers gathering. And another missionary goes over there uh, once uh, every other month uh, to minister to them. Otherwise, they just get videos or, or some live stream or whatever. And so within this area, uh, there's about half a million people. And so we began praying, asking God. I asked God that time. I've, I've asked, in the past 13 years, I've asked the Lord, you know, where would you have us to go? You want us to go anywhere? And He's kept us there in Nyoto. Uh, the team missions, as I said, has, has worked well. Uh, you know, when we go on furlough, the church doesn't shut down. The Smiths go on furlough. We can, we can keep preaching, just consolidate our, our responsibilities. And, and, and I think it's, uh, I think it's wise. I think, you know, it's, it's done well. There's lots of missionaries that, when they come back, they don't have anybody to take over and everything just has to shut down for a while. And so, uh, so I prayed over the years, though, we'd go through, we'd drive through a city with 150,000 people, you know, and there's no church there. And Lord, is this where you'd have us to go? We'd always say no. And uh, so I began praying over Kushido as we drove through it, 170,000 people in that town, and God said no. He was basically, stop asking. I'll let you know when it's time to go somewhere. And so I asked the Lord, I said, oh, that's fine. I said, but if you would just burden my heart for whatever place it is, if you'd burden my heart the same way you did when you called me to be a missionary, when you burdened my heart, showed me I was lost in need of a Savior and spoke to me in that clear, still, small voice. And uh, he said, you know, I said, if you would just do that for me, then I'll know it's time to go when it's time to go. And so we um, uh, went back down to Kushido another time, took another 3,000 John and Romans down with us and tried to get those into houses down there. Uh, did a whole neighborhood and, and just a you know a day realized that uh, we just barely uh, dropping the bucket uh, down there, and but knowing that that was the first time that those people had ever handled or held the gospel had access to it, and so we uh, came back up and in June of last year, then uh, we were having our family Bible time, and uh, long long story shorter, <laughs> uh, God. Uh, burdened our heart and spoke to me just as clear as a bell that he wanted us to be one of the families going down to Kushido. We've been praying for six families, and uh, he told us we were supposed to be one of them. And so we're still praying for five more, maybe in here tonight. Amen. Uh, somebody, uh, uh, Lord's calling uh, to go to Kushido, go to Kitami, go to Obihito, one of those cities. And teams of two is my, my heart's desire uh, to reach those cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I uh, appreciate your prayers for that. appreciate your prayers for us. Uh, one of the things we're doing, uh, we've been working, we're on the tail end of a translation project with 
a man by the name of John Himes started it probably about 20 years ago, uh, translating uh, the uh, uh, Texas Receptus into Japanese. The Bible translation they do have is is from a critical Greek translation, and it's uh, changing constantly. Uh, just so that they can keep a copyright up on it. They won't let us touch it for anything. It costs them about five dollars to get one John and Romans. And so uh, we're on the we're trying to uh, finish up this translation. It's already been translated. It's already been gone through twice. Um, and right now we're just in the final stages of getting it ready to print. Uh, like I said, those John and Romans we passed out is this translation. We call it the Lifeline translation. And uh, it's just the New Testament, but. It's more than what they have, and we can get it out in mass. So we printed 100,000 copies five years ago when we were back on our first furlough, and uh, made it to Japan while we were here, actually. And those have all been, uh, for the most part, distributed. And so we're excited about that, excited about what the Lord's doing. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. In Japan, less than one half of 1% is considered to be Christian of any kind. And why is that when we've been in the country for 160, 170 years? It's because they don't have access to the Word of God. And so uh, we're excited about what the Lord's doing with this. We appreciate your praying with us that we can get this translation finished up. Uh, right now we're just looking, going through a fine-tooth comb, trying to find any, any uh, flow errors or, or spelling errors. We've got some Japanese folks working on it, trying to make sure it sounds right. Uh, if you studied a, a language, you know that that uh, can be right in the grammar but not be right to the ears of the people. So, uh, so we've got some Japanese folks helping us with that. And, uh, and so... Uh, hopefully this year, it was supposed to be last year, but then COVID, you know, so, so hopefully this year it'll be out. Uh, so we thank you for your prayers for us. If you don't have a prayer card, go ahead and pick one, pick one up. And uh, we have a, a sign-up sheet in the back if you want to get our prayer letters. And I think that's about it. So. <laughs> Anybody have any questions for me about Japan or about uh, the ministry? Yes, ma'am. Um, they're used to missionaries. Uh, it's, it's not like China where we're restricted at all. Um, but as far as the people, uh, religion to them is cultural. And so even though they may be atheist or agnostic in their practices, they'll still go to the Shinto shrine and they'll do the ceremonies and they'll still do, uh, go to the Buddhist uh, priests for their funerals and, and pay the extra money for a, a better place in their afterlife just in case you know it's real. Uh, and so they think all Americans are Christians because all Japanese are Buddhist. Um, and so it's what they what they know of Christianity is is based on TV or movies, and they don't really have a clear picture of, of what it is. Sometimes a lot of times people come to the church and they say, "Well, why don't you have the white collars on?" You know, <laughs> I mean that's what they think all Christians should be like. So um, for people to then become a Christian, a lot of times. Uh, to a society that thinks they're the best society in the world, and why would you even want to leave Japan? Uh, for someone to become a Christian, they think they're becoming American. And uh, so the, one of the obstacles that we have to overcome is just teaching them they can be a Japanese Christian and not an American Christian. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I'd say everything about Japan is anti-Christ. And, and in answer to that question, um, my family was military. I was all Air Force, and every four years we moved. 
All of Japan is like that. So if you're, in a, if you're a teacher on our island, a school teacher, you're in the school system, and they can, they'll plug you wherever they want to plug you. So usually about every three or four years, they're moving you. Uh, about this time of year, into February, into March, the school year is getting ready to end, and this is the time when everybody starts moving. And so uh, it'll take two, three years for someone to come to a full understanding of Christ and understand their sinner, need of a Savior. And should they choose to accept Christ, most of the time they don't, but should they choose to accept Christ, we don't have them for very long. Um, and then they move on. So uh, Brother Smith has been there for Nyoto for 30 years, and uh, there's one believer in the church right now. We've had you know others through the years, but they're always moving. So and and it's hard to it's hard to tell them you know a lot of times even where to go to find a church that they can that they can even you know hook up with or join. Uh, and so you know it's it's a common it's it's a big problem there. If we were in a bigger city, there might you know some of those you know, the larger churches that you see have access to you know two three million people. Oh, you're fine. That we have right now in the church. Yes. Well, he's not baptized yet, so right now the church is just the missionaries. Yeah. So we have we have visitors that come. We have folks that have been visitors that have been coming for three, four years, but not saved. And this one man, uh, we spent. Uh, his was kind of a a unique situation. Um, he was. There are church-related schools in Japan, so the Protestant church, uh, different Protestant churches have high schools and as a money-making thing. And so he, was, he went to a, a Protestant high school, so he had some background of Christianity. Um, he had been in uh, Tokyo working for Yahoo, and his job was to filter out all the vileness uh, out on the Internet that they didn't want on their website. And so eight, ten hours a day, he's having to look at all this filth and mark it so that it's it's banned off their website um and it just got to him you know he, he just couldn't i mean you just can't do that for a great length of time and so he got out of the city moved as far away as he could moved about an hour and a half north of us uh found us on the internet showed up uh, one service day just out of the blue and said my heart is dark i need something and uh so we for three months just worked with him specifically preached the gospel taught uh, focused on him, and uh, he trusted Christ. Uh, but for the Japanese, and it's uh, if you ask a Japanese pastor when they got saved, they'll tell you the day they got baptized. And it's not because they're equating baptism with uh, salvation, but that's the day that they made it public, that they took a stand and sacrificed family, friends, sometimes jobs, because they said, I'm identifying with Christ, I'm becoming a Christian. Um, and so a lot for the Japanese, a lot of times their salvation testimonies are like Brother Izumi, who, who just got saved uh, this last year. It was a progression as he began to understand, kind of like Cornelius when he was hearing the preaching and he got saved. He didn't pray a prayer. There wasn't a, there wasn't a uh, specific, you know, he didn't have an altar call. He's hearing the word of God preached. He's accepting it and believing it. And we asked him the same thing after three months. Randy and I, Randy Smith and I, we were just kind of, well, let's see where he's at. You know, so we went through the gospel with him again. He's shaking his head. He said, uh, he said, would you like to accept Christ today? And he said, I already have. You know, I said, well, when was that? He said, well, if I've been listening to what you've been saying and, and I've been agreeing with it and that's, and I, and I 
that's what I wanted. I wanted Christ. So there's probably not a date in his mind as to when he got saved, but he still hasn't been baptized yet. So it's another, it's another, this was last June, and now it's another um, teaching time and why you need to baptize and, and what the importance of it is. But as a, as a big decision for the Japanese. And so we don't have any, any saved baptized Japanese uh, as in the church there as of right now. Yes. Yes. It's the school. So it's not just them. It's everything. So, um, so if you're in the military, you have a rank and a grade and a job description, and they feel they can plug you wherever. You ought to be able to do whatever you need to do. In Japan, they want you uh, loyal to your company, loyal to your job. They say if your house is on fire, your job's on fire, you go to the job to save the building. You know, uh, that's their mindset. And so they don't want you to be loyal to your family. They don't want you to be loyal to a town. They don't want you to be loyal to a group of bosses or an environment. And so every three, four years, they move you uh, to a different a spot doing the same job. Um, and so divorce is rampant. Uh, uh, immorality is rampant as husbands and wives are separated typically. Uh, as the wife wants to stay with the kids in a certain school system and the dads will go off maybe to a different island. And so depending on how far away they are, it depends on how much they come back during the year. Companies or the government, whatever, whoever, whoever their bosses. There's very few jobs unless you're like in farming or something where you have, you know, your own farm. There's very few uh, jobs where they won't move you to a different area. Yes, sir. Well, the as far as the Protestant Church, um, you know, it's just a, a works gospel. You know, that's all that is. So, uh, you know, as long as you're good to your neighbor, you're a good Japanese or, or whatever. Um, you know, there was a, there's a lady that we talked to that went to the Christian church in town, and and uh, she said she heard about you know I think one of us preached on uh, the feeding of the five thousand. She says she had heard that story before. But when she heard it, you know, the focus was on that the little boy was willing to give up his lunch and sacrifice for everybody else. Not in fact that Christ did anything or that there's a miracle or, or, you know, God was meeting needs, but, you know, he was being a good citizen by offering his little, little lunch for everybody. So it's, you know, as far as, you know, there's not a whole, you know, not a big Christian presence, you know, so even, you know, false Christian churches, so it's not really something, I don't know, we just, we focus on our area and what we're doing, you know, we assume that everybody's lost, so. Yes, sir. It's not hostile at all. Um, We have, you know, at the end of World War II, General MacArthur wrote the Constitution for the Japanese, and um, they had to adopt it, and so there's complete freedom of religion, uh, we have a religious activities visa. We have a visa that, that says that's what my job is in Japan, is to be a missionary. Uh, and um, we have uh, uh, MacArthur called for you know thousands of missionaries to come to Japan after the war, but we hated the Japanese so much for uh, Pearl Harbor and, and the war in the Pacific that uh, about a few hundred went. 
And but we did send the god of America at the time. We sent we sent money and commercialism. So that is the god of the Japanese today. We had a chance, an opportunity right at the end of the war, but we squandered it. And so now we fight tooth and nail and just kind of slog through the swamps, if you would, to try and save one or two. What else? It is expensive. Um, you know, each each area is different. You know, we're kind of up in a rural area, so we you know we have a garden, a good sized garden, and and come harvest time, the potatoes are pretty cheap, so so we buy from the local farmers. And uh, uh, but it, uh, after you know the reason we're not just visiting supporting churches on this way back is be, is because uh, in 13 years they we had a tsunami and earthquake that happened about 10 years ago now and uh, they increased the sales tax from 5% to 10% uh, the they shut down all the nuclear power plants so we're on coal and imported you know fuel sources so electricity is about three times what it was um, yeah this cost of living just keeps going up uh, we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't live in Tokyo or you know it's kind of like living in New York City you know? so you know the bigger cities like that is more expensive. Um, everybody's wanting to go there, but we're out in the country, so it's not, it's, you know, I don't know, the Lord takes care of us. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's pretty pricey to live there. But. Sir? I would say probably where, you know, probably where we're at, um, just because of the weather and the climate, they're not as tied, I guess, to... The traditions as you would down on the main island down south um you know the outfits and stuff that they would wear down there is not not as common up where we're at just because it's you know it gets to you know 20 30 below so it's not <laughs> yeah you don't you don't wear kimono and it's that cold out so uh but uh, uh so i would say you know they're a little more receptive but you know it's a it's a you know it's a foreign completely foreign concept you know it'd be like someone coming in here and telling you that you know, let me tell you about Allah and, and our Muslim faith. It's that it's that form of an idea to them uh, to say, you know, to become a Christian. Well, no, that's you know that's them. Um, and but you know, for people to come to Christ, you know, I've had one. I've, we've passed out thousands upon thousands of tracts, uh, John and Roman, tens of thousands. And so uh, we've had one person that has accepted Christ out of those efforts. Um, the rest of them have been, except for Brother Izumi, his was, you know, I'd say a special case, but the rest have just been, they've seen us live our lives over years of time. Notice that, you know, when we go through cancer and they go through cancer, it's way two different things. And, uh, they want to know what the difference is then, you know, when everyone else abandons them because they think they're going to get their disease or whatever. Or when we're, you know, we're not afraid to help somebody out when they're in need or, or it's not just about, you know. Uh, we went down to, we took a four-ton truck of supplies down to the earthquake you know, zone, um, all of our own efforts, and the people in town were like, well, you know, why are you doing this? We should be doing this. We're like, well, yeah, well, you should, but you're not, so we are, you know? So, uh, you know, but it was it was more genteel. It was more, you know, we're, uh, well, we have, you know, that's why we're here. We're, we're here to help, and, and uh, so we were able to do that, uh, and the Lord allowed for that. Folks from the states uh, that we didn't even know sent, finances and things to be able to, to facilitate that trip but um, you know so we can we can you know we, we can make ourselves available to those things but 
but they see they see a sincerity, um, and some of it's just a longevity. Lots of missionaries come and go, and when they see it staying there and not quitting and not leaving, and they realize that you know you're there to stay, uh, then a lot of times they'll start asking questions. So. If you have any other questions, go ahead and save them to the end of the message. Otherwise, you interrupt me and I'll lose my train of thought. So, Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many nobler called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, bless the rest of this evening. Uh, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be filled with your spirit that might hear from you this night. We thank you for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Brother Andy, we were up at his church back in uh, uh, October into November, I think it was. And uh, so it's a surprise to see him walk in tonight. I, and I, I, I blanked on his name because he's not in the right place in the right, right spot. He's down here in North Carolina. I'm like, I know you. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> Who are you? Uh, and uh, But we're up there, and they were at their missions conference, church missions conference. And uh, there's a, a young fellow up there that uh, was a missionary uh, there. I think they were heading to South America. And uh, but he kept calling me a veteran missionary, and it bothered me. Uh, I've been in Japan 13 years. I don't consider myself a veteran. I think we're just getting going. Uh, we're just getting past the the facade barriers of a lot of people where uh, you know they're cordial on this level, and the Japanese have words for it and different levels that you can relate to people on. And we got to get down to that heart level uh, with the gospel. And so uh, friends of ours that. Uh, uh, we've been talking with and witnessing to and and uh just really the barriers starting to come down this last year and so here we are in america and we're like why are we here <laughs> uh, you know we didn't want to you know, feel like philip being uh sent out away out into the desert when things are going great back in jerusalem and uh so 
so this fellow kept, this missionary kept calling me a veteran missionary. I'm like, I'm just getting going. And, and, uh, I mean, as I said, my family's military. And so we get, I think I know what a veteran is. I'm, I'm grateful for our veterans. Uh, they're the reason that we can be in Japan and have the freedom to, to preach. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, but uh, I think of a veteran as somebody who's been there and is done. I think I'm just getting started. So I'm not done yet. So I don't think I'm a veteran missionary. Uh, but uh, he kept saying veteran. And so I said, well, this bothers me. And, uh, uh, but, uh, so I, as I was reading through the scriptures, it came to this passage of scripture and the Lord gave me a message on how to become a veteran missionary. Uh, I figured since I am one, I might as well own it. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to teach you all how to be a veteran missionary tonight uh, so that uh, uh, one day you can have someone say, oh, that's a veteran missionary. He did, uh, he did uh, this or he did that. So uh, here in the scriptures, it says in verse 26, the very first thing that you're going to need to be a veteran missionary is you're going to have to be called by God. And in verse 26 it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many nobler are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Uh, there is a call of God to be a missionary. And uh, there's different calls in the Scripture. There's in Acts chapter uh, 13, uh, God calls Paul and Barnabas out. There's a call to a vocation. He's calling them to be those missionaries to go out uh, from the church. There's a call in Acts chapter 16 to a location. They wanted to go into Asia, and God says, no, you're not. don't go to Asia, don't go to Bithynia, uh, go over to Macedonia. So there's a, a location call uh, there. But then uh, a couple chapters over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, there's another kind of call. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says in verse 17, If any man, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is a call to this church. Uh, the, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and of course, the church at Corinth is not there today. Uh, but Lighthouse Baptist Church is a local church that is here today, right? Yeah. And we have, we have, uh, this idea, of course, we, we believe that, uh, there is no universal invisible anything. And there's this idea though, and we have this idea that, uh, when it comes to missions, we have a universal invisible mindset. Uh, you see, we have in four different places in the scriptures, God giving the, what's called the Great Commission, uh, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, the reason we have a universal invisible mindset is that because we think we're just a small church and we're just doing what we can. And yet God has given the whole of the world for you to reach. And so, and you're thinking, well, yeah, I know he says that, but, <laughs> right? But the universal invisible mindset comes in and we say, well, if we do all that we can do and the other churches do all that they can do, then we'll get the job done. But we're not getting the job done, Right? It's not happening. You know, the world isn't full of missionaries. Uh, and so uh, we have this idea, though, that it's our responsibility, along with everybody else's, to come together and reach the world with the gospel. But God says that if every other church shuts down, if every other church quits, and this is the only church left on earth, you have the responsibility to reach 7.5 billion people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Great Commission is given solely to you. And I think if every church had that mindset that it's our job to reach the world with the gospel solely and we work to that end, that we would get the job done. You see here it says he's given a ministry of reconciliation. That means to bring things back together, to bring a lost and a dying world to be reconciled with their Creator. And it's given to this church to accomplish. 
Here's what it says in verse 9. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Then he says this. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God to beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now in Japan, we have an ambassador from the United States, and his job is just to handle all the problems that Japan has, right? That's not his job. His job is simply to be a go-between. When the prime minister of Japan has a problem with a, a military base or, or uh, China's uh, encroaching upon the islands that they say are theirs, they go to the United States ambassador. They don't call the president on their own. They go to the ambassador and they say, uh, we have this problem. And the ambassador doesn't say, well, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to nuke them. We're just going to uh, wipe them out. We're going to kick. He doesn't say that. What he says is, hang on one second. Uh, hello, Mr. President. We have a problem here in Japan. What would you like me to tell them? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. I'll tell them. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Uh, Prime Minister of Japan, this is what the American people are going to do. His message is not his own. His message is simply that of the country he's representing. God says that you are an ambassador for him. The verse, if you actually study that and look at it, it gets quite scary. He says, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. You see, God the Father has not been seen physically by any man on the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not presently here physically in body with us. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father up in heaven, waiting to come back one day. But He still has a message that He wants to get out. And He says, it's your job to get it out. He says, you are standing in the very place of God, in the very place of Jesus Christ on earth. You are here standing, representing Him on earth. And it's your job then to get the gospel message out to every creature. He says, this ministry of reconciliation, this calling to be a minister of reconciliation is given unto you in Christ's stead. As though God did beseech you by us. You see, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 26, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. This calling specifically is speaking to who? What is this calling? It's a call to salvation. Right? Here in the Scriptures, guess what? When you thought, oh, how to be a veteran missionary, I don't have to worry about this one. I'm not going to be a missionary, right? Now, this message is for you. Because every one of you are called to be a missionary by God. Now, there is a specific calling to be a pastor. There's a specific calling to, uh, for me to be uh, in the ministry in a location in Japan. But God has a specific vocation that He wants you to do, and He has a location for you to be. When you go to your work, when you go to your job, that's where He wants you to be. That's where you're to be a missionary. When you go to your family reunions and your gatherings, that's where you're supposed to be a missionary. When you go to your high school reunion, you're supposed to be a missionary there. And God has given you that responsibility, given this church responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. And he, get, he makes it all possible with His power and His strength. If you want to be a veteran missionary one day, you're going to have to be called by God. Second thing you're going to need is you need to be called by the world. 
Now, if you look down in verse 26 again, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and base things of the world, which are th- and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. You're going to have to be called by the world, and they will call you all sorts of things. <laughs> What are they going to call you? Here, God even gives you a list. He says you're going to be not wise to them, right? Uh, not the brightest light bulbs in the box, those Christians. I was reading, uh, uh, I was doing some studying this morning and uh, came across a, uh, a website that was just a bunch of atheists arguing about uh, Christians and how they don't trust science and you know, just a bunch of idiots, just about ignoramuses. Where's your Where's your proof for the existence of God? <laughs> Not wise, not mighty. And he couldn't make it pastor in America, so we better send him overseas. <laughs> make him a missionary and get him out of this country. Not noble. How dare you change their culture, those moral Japanese people. They, they, they have their own system. They don't need you going messing it up. Foolish. You're going to take your wife and seven kids over to Japan? There's plenty of people here that need, that need to hear about Jesus. Why would you go overseas? Why are you going to take my grandbabies over there? Why are you, why are you going to do all these things that, when you can just stay right here? There's Japanese people in Indianapolis that, that need to hear the gospel. Why, why are you going to take everybody over, over to Japan? Weak? Brother, I'm a mission board director, and I know what it costs to live in Japan, and that amount of support, you're going to starve. You won't make it a year, son. Base? Kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel with that Will Height guy. Despised? Why are you in our country? We're Buddhists, we're Shinto. We don't want your Christianity. You want to teach us English? You want to teach us how to make money? That's great. We don't need your Christianity. Things that are not, nobody special. We think of missionaries in China. We think of missionaries in India. We think of missionaries in Africa. Who do we think of? We think of Hudson Taylor, William Carey, David Livingston. Were they the first missionaries to go there? No, there were hundreds of missionaries that went before them. And most of them died. And you don't know their names. A bunch of nobodies that planted the seeds and watered the ground with their blood so that David Livingston and William Carey and Hudson Taylor could have a ministry. You don't know me. You don't know... I mean, most people don't even know where Liston is. They've never heard of it. You don't know our church. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Brother Danford is the, you know, don't judge the whole church by the Danfords. So. <laughs> but reality is that, you know, I went to Bible college. Brother Danford and I graduated the same year. I went to Bible college and I showed up. I had been saved a year. I was excited. I knew I was supposed to be in Japan as a missionary. And I uh, showed up with my country music CDs and my TV and, and VCR and videotapes and video games and everything I had, everything I owned in a Dodge Omni. I <laughs> uh, showed up at Bible college because I knew it's where God wanted me. Hadn't seen the handbook, didn't know anything about the school. I got out there and I, I uh, registered and uh, they gave me the handbook. And so I started chucking stuff and get rid of stuff. And I said, what about this? What about this? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, but when I got there, I had people, I had people in the dorm, guys in the dorm. Well, he's not Bible college material. <laughs> you know, uh, that guy's not going to make it. Uh, and they were taking bets. They said the last two weeks is the most they say they gave me. 
graduated in 2000, it's been 21 years. Most of those guys that were great Bible scholars, great expositors of scriptures, guys I looked up to in the dorm, aren't even in the ministry anymore. So why is Dwayne Wilhite still in Japan? I'm nobody special. Eight-year-old punk kid from a broken home that God called to Japan as a missionary. You see, the Bible tells us why 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 are we called why why did the world why does the world think of this of it? Why do they call us this? Verse twenty nine that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 31, that according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let me tell you, if anything, if Brother Azumi gets saved, if anybody else gets saved in Japan, if anything happens, it's all God. Because I'm just a nobody from nowhere that can't do anything. You see, God gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. If you want to be a veteran missionary one day, you're going to have to be called by the world, and they will call you all sorts of things. And that's okay. They did much worse to our Savior. And can I say that American Christians are, uh, for the most part, a bunch of weeniest, <laughs> sissiest, most complaining missionaries or Christians in the world. Someone slams the door in your face, you're not going to go knock on their door anymore. Someone cusses you out, flips you off, whatever. Uh, we had a young lady that trusted Christ as her Savior. Her parents lived about four hours away. I mean, we don't we don't push anything in Japan. We just let the Holy Spirit do whatever He wants to do because we're trying just to lead them to Christ. And as we as we as we teach them and train them, and they study the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit works in their hearts. And she felt convicted to go talk to her parents and let them know that she'd become a Christian. She went and told her mom, and her mom said, "Do not tell your father. Whatever you do, do not tell your father." She was coming faithful to church, and so we kind of encouraged her a little bit. You know, she's like, "Well, I really feel like I need to talk to my father." It's like, "Well, you know, it'd be good." You know. He needs to become a Christian too. We'll be praying for him. She went down and met with him. And uh, uh, a couple months later, she said, Dad, I've become a Christian. He says, that's fine. You can be a Christian, but you will no longer be my daughter. Make a choice now. I'd like to say that that uh, uh, she was faithful and she, she uh, just uh, uh, trusted that Christ was going to work things out and her parents got saved, but that's not how the story went. She never came back to church. Her dad called her every Sunday on FaceTime to make sure she was not in church. One of Brother Smith's daughters ran into her several years ago, and and uh, uh, she knows she's saved. She knows what she should be doing, but the price is just too high. And we get all out of sorts because someone slammed the door on us. Won't take our gospel track. There's countries in this world where you try to witness to somebody and they kill you. Why is God's hand of judgment on this country? Because we're lazy and complacent. We have the gospel and we have free access to give it to everybody and we're not doing it. If you want to be a veteran missionary one day, you're going to have to be called by the world and they will call you all sorts of things. Third thing you're going to need, you're going to have to call on the world. Look at verse 17. It says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is in that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
You're going to have to call on the world to be saved. We have this idea that leading people to Christ, and, and the reason, one of the reasons that, that we think we can't reach the world with the gospel is we think we have to do a lot more than we really have to do. We think we have a lot more responsibility than we do, and that it's just not possible for us to do everything. Uh, when I was in Bible college, they had us fill out Christian service reports, and they would know how many souls you led to Christ in the past week. Uh, being a missionary, uh, we'd get uh, questionnaires on deputation. Do you ever get questionnaires? Aren't those wonderful? Yeah, you get questionnaires. They want to know uh, everything about you and about your life. I'm like, can you fill this out for your Sunday school teachers and send them back to me? But we can't do that. We can't say, <laughs> okay, thank you, Pastor. I'll be glad to fill this out. Uh, they want to know how many souls you led to Christ past week, month, year. They want to know uh, how many souls, you know, Brother Will, how many souls you led to Christ since you've been in Japan? And I'm a skeptic. See, I prayed a prayer at five years old because the Sunday school teacher said, if you want to get saved, pray this prayer. And I lived for the next 12 years lost as a goose in a hailstorm. And uh, at 17 years of age, God got a hold of my heart and I got born again. And so I'm a skeptic because I, I was wicked. I was sinful. You talk about hypocrites in the church. I think most hypocrites are lost because I was one. I was acting one way on Sunday, another way on Monday. And I was as lost as could be. And uh, I was a good chameleon. I could kind of fit in with what a crowd I was around, and I did it well. But I got saved, and God washed me and cleaned me, and the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt me, and my life has never been the same since. And so when someone says they've gotten saved, I want to see some fruit in their life. I want to look. As, I'm, not, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about the book of, of 1 Corinthians here, and they were a messed up church, and call, Paul still called them brothers. <laughs> so I don't know who's saved and who's not, but for me, I want to see something. I want to see God do the same thing for them that He did for me when I got saved. And so I look and I watch people. So I really don't know how many people have trusted Christ. So I always write zero. Four years of Bible college, uh, student body chaplain my senior year, and I didn't lead one soul to Christ in all Bible college. Thirteen years in the mission field, I haven't led one soul to Christ. I just write zero because I don't know. I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, it was this many, just because someone uh, said they trusted Christ because I want to see some fruit. I want to see something in their life. If someone gets saved, they don't want to be in church. They don't want to uh, read their Bible. They're not interested in things of God, and they just because they prayed a prayer. I don't think they, I don't think they're saved. I mean, you can't stay the same when all the sin is gone and the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. I mean, I get out of God's will, and I'm pretty miserable. I'm pretty grumpy. So I want to see some fruit in somebody's life. When I don't see it, I, I question. You know, I don't. I don't think I'm really saved. But we have this idea, and I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but we have this idea that we have a lot more responsibility than we do, that it's our somehow, it's our job to save people, but the reality is, uh, I can't save anybody. And you can't save anybody. You know why? Because Jesus Christ did everything necessary to save you. He's the only one that can save you. You can't even save yourself. How are you going to save somebody else? And yet that's what they want to know. How many souls have you led to Christ? And they think by leading to Christ, it means that you've, you've uh, done something where they've gotten saved. But it's not your job to save anybody. Jesus Christ does His job perfectly well, and He doesn't need your help in that aspect. Second thing you don't have to do, you don't have to uh, convict anybody. You know why? Same reason, because you can't. Uh, I've tried before. I've tried to uh, guilt trip somebody into getting saved when I was first starting out. I tried all sorts of things to, uh, to try and get someone to get saved, but the reality is I can't convict anybody's heart. The Holy Spirit does things that only He can do that I can't do and that you can't do. It's not your job and it's not my job. 
I mean, anyone's preached the gospel for any length of time realizes that, that, uh, we, we can preach a message on, on faith promise. We can preach a message on giving to God, being faithful with your tithes and your offerings to the Lord. And uh, at the end of that message, someone comes up, Pastor, I just thank the Lord for your message. I got right with my sister after 40 years of being mad at her. And you're going, okay, amen, amen. That's a blessing that wasn't in the notes anywhere. How'd that happen? You know, uh, okay. Yeah, great. That's wonderful. Uh, what happened? The Holy Spirit of God took His Word and did something in a heart that you couldn't do. There's been times when I preached the message and everything was on par and on point. And I just said, man, the altars are going to be full at the end of this message. <laughs> and nobody comes. And then there's messages where you spit and you sputter, you knock over your water, nothing goes right, nothing goes well. And you're like, well, that was a failure. And the altars are full. What's happening? God is doing stuff and you're not getting the credit for it. He's not going to give it to you. The Holy Spirit convicts hearts and He does an excellent job at it. He doesn't need your help. Third thing, we don't have to. We have to be in the right place at the right time because God sets up appointments and He, if you're in His will, He moves you wherever He wants to move you and He will take you and put you exactly where you're supposed to be. And can I say that every day of your life, God has appointments for you that He has made from eternity past. He knew that you were going to drive through Starbucks and get that $7, uh, $7 uh, cup of coffee. If it's pumpkin spice, amen, it's worth every drop, <laughs> every dollar that you spend. Uh, $7 for a cup of coffee, but that person that's given you your coffee is an opportunity that God has set up for you from eternity past to give a gospel track to, to encourage, to say, the Lord loves you, I want to give you something. Now make sure you put a $5 bill in with it so it's a $12 cup of coffee, amen. That's right, five bucks. Why? Don't be a cheapskate Christian. <laughs> I used to work in a banquets and catering. I was in Bible college, and we hated churches. We hated, they were the worst. Always wanting something for nothing, never tipping. And we had to, and rude, and they'd steal the food, and they'd do all sorts of things. And, and Christian church, I was the hardest to try and witness to people at my work because I saw these churches that came through. Don't be one of those Christians. That's a side note. That's free. <laughs> but God has appointments for you each and every day. When you go to work, there's appointments. There's appointments. I mean, we live in the greatest time in the world with technology. I mean, we can, you, can, you can write out your own testimony and put it in track form for nothing. What, three cents a page? Give them something that, you know, make sure your tracks have the gospel in them. <laughs> Lots of tracks don't. Make sure that tracks have the gospel in them so they can have something that could lead them to Christ. But give them something. You go to the gas station, take gospel tracks, stick it in the pump. The next guy comes through, at least has to take it out, right? Now, we can get tracks out like never, we can, you can put web pages out there. You can, I can't, I don't know how to do those things, but you can put web pages out there. You can build you, all sorts of opportunities to get the gospel out today like never before. Why aren't we doing it? See, God has Put us in the right place at the right time when we're in His will. And there's appointments that He will set up like never before. We were When we were on Raising Support uh, uh, on deputation, we, we were up in Michigan, and uh, I was driving, and, and we had just preached the message. God had given us a Suburban. Uh, we had prayed for it, prayed specifically, prayed 13 different things for a vehicle. Our van had died in Virginia, and God miraculously gave this uh, Suburban to us, and it, we were rejoicing and talking about the goodness of God. And I'm driving south out of Michigan, and... Uh, uh, there was a there was a Tahoe broken down on the side of the road with a flat tire, and the Holy Spirit of God said to me, he "said You go stop and you help them." And I'm like, "I don't want to help them." Uh, 
and I'm, I'm arguing with God. I'm, argue, I'm trying to ignore the Holy Spirit, turn up the music, you know, I'm driving because I'm late. I'm, I got to be at a meeting and, uh, and, uh, and my focus is trying to forget about what the Holy Spirit. Don't look at me like that, like you've never done that. <laughs> I'm driving and, and the road, another, another highway merged with the one we were on and I didn't realize that. And so the, the, uh, uh, exit numbers changed from where they were going. And so I thought I missed my exit. So I'm like, what's this? Man, what? So I pulled off to the next exit, and then it didn't go back around the way it was supposed to. And so I went this road and that road, and this before we had GPS and this road. And then I finally came back around. My wife says, where are we? I said, I, I know exactly where we are. I got it, finally found the on-ramp back on, and it came on the on-ramp down at the bottom of the on-ramp. Guess what was there? That Tahoe broken down the side of the road. The Holy Spirit said, go over and help them. And I was God smote my heart, said, You are a sorry missionary. I said, You're right, I am. And I'm sorry. Got out, I said, Can I help you? He says, Yeah. He says, We've got this uh uh we got a flat tire, but there's a special tire iron that this Tahoe has that that it takes to to get this tire off. I said, probably the same one in my suburban. <laughs> and it was. Help them get their tire off. He said, hey, can I give you some money? I said, no. I said, if you have a few minutes of time. He says, well, I'd love to talk to you, but he said, we're really running tight. we got to get going. I said, okay, fine. I said, let me give you this gospel track. I said, if you'll promise me, you'll read it, and then call me if you have any questions. Probably if I had pulled off at the first, they would have had time to talk to me. But I thank God that he gave me another opportunity. I never heard from him again. And I don't know what God will do with that, but that's one uh, couple that at least had access to the gospel. Did God love them and care enough for them to send some sorry missionary with his uh, Ford or Chevy Suburban off to the side of the road? Yeah, he did. That was an appointment he had set up a long time before. You see, we don't have to do those things because God is doing them. So what is it that we have to do then? It says here in our passage, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, I'm not a preacher. It's, you know, it's not my responsibility. Uh, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And it is to the world, isn't it? I mean, and really to me, in my, in my human mind, uh, the gospel is really foolishness, isn't it? I mean, if I, if I get up and say, uh, you are a lost sinner and you're on your way to hell, but God loved you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, to be your substitute, so that you wouldn't have to die and go to hell. And if you will uh, repent of your sins and trust Him as Lord and Savior, He will save you. That's it. That's it. That doesn't make any sense. I know. And I don't know how the gospel works, but it does. In all its simplicity. What do you say? Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It is the pure and simple cross of Jesus Christ. The fact that He became sin for us. It goes on in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. God is saying He's going to do the, uh, take the foolishness of this world and turn it on its end. 
He's going to take the wisdom of this world and turn it on, the, on its end. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I've seen atheists that have uh, been bold proclaimers for their false doctrine that have trusted Christ because of the gospel. It says in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of the world... The, of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. There is again to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And the Jews, and under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. How does the gospel do what it does? I have no idea, but it does it. We're to be the ambassadors that are supposed to give that gospel message. We should study our Bibles. We should be prepared. We should, uh, Paul said he tried to persuade men and he did all sorts of things to try and lead as much as he could to become uh, all things to all men that he by all means win some. He was doing what he could to lead people to Christ and we have the responsibility to do everything we can to pray up, to memorize our scriptures, to be, to be studied, to know how to lead people to Christ, to take the word of God and be skillful with it. And that's not just for the pastor, that's for every one of us. And what we're doing then is we are leading people to Christ. Every time I pass out a gospel tract, every time I hand out a John and Romans, every time I preach a gospel message, every time I stand on someone's porch and tell them about Jesus Christ, every time I tell the good news, every time we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to the Father so that the, the people around us look at us and see, there's something different about you. What's that difference? You know what we're doing? We're leading them to Christ as far as they're willing to go. So when someone asks me how many souls were led to Christ the past 13 years, I say tens of thousands. I'd say only maybe 10 or 15 have gotten saved. But we lead people to Christ all the time. Or we lead them away from Him. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. convicts hearts that the Holy Spirit of God uses to work in hearts and lives and to change them so they realize their need of a Savior and they can come to Christ. We lead people as far as they will go, as far away, but we take them to the cross and then we have to leave them there and proclaim them in the Lord. See, we don't have to do all these things that we think we have to do in leading people to Christ. As an ambassador, we're just the mouthpiece. We just give the message. Not even our own words. God lays it all out here for us. We don't have to, we have to call on the world. If you can be a veteran missionary today, you're going to have to call on the world to be saved. And fourth thing, uh, in verse 25, it says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need to call on God and Him alone. Matthew chapter 14, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but is the story of Peter walking on the water. And, and I understand, you know, we think about Peter. He walked on water. He took his eyes off of Christ. And we focused on a lot of times on the fact that he sunk and Jesus had to go save him. Like, oh, Peter, there you go again. Uh, but can we just focus on the first part? <laughs> 
Here Jesus is walking on the water. He just they they fed the five thousand. He was up uh, talking to his father up on the mountaintop. I think he was coming across that water. It's dark. It's stormy. I kind of picture these things in my mind. It's dark and stormy. You got lightning uh, shooting out. The waves are are pretty big swells. And and uh, here Jesus comes walking on the water. And I think he was glowing like that Shekinah glory. I think he was with his father, kind of like Moses did when he came out the mountain. Just saw the backside of God. Here Jesus Christ being very present. I think he was glowing on the water. So he was walking. They thought it was a ghost. So they're screaming like a bunch of teenagers age girls and and so here he is walking across the water and uh, he says be not afraid it is i and they knew it was jesus and peter said lord if it be thou bids me come to thee on the water the lord said come and peter walked on water you never walked on water peter did why because he asked god to do something only god could do When my wife and I were uh, talking about getting married and had been engaged, our pastor home church wanted us to do some premarital counseling. Those are always fun, right? <laughs> uh, premarital counseling. So we got in with the pastor, and, and uh, he's asking questions, practical stuff, which is good. He's asking about uh, uh, insurance and house payments and all this stuff, you know, things you got to think about you know it's not just you know pie in the sky love you know i love you i want to get married and and uh then you get married and like okay now what uh so uh, just you know how are we going to live our lives how are we going to and uh he's asking about insurance and, and all these costly things and i said well i said he said i said we just don't have the money for that i said you know i'm working 50 60 hours a week in bible college paying off my school bill and and uh, uh paying off my that dodge omni and 15 times it broke down you know uh, so I'm just doing all the, and I just don't have, you know, any extra money for stuff like that. He says, well, he says, so how are you going to, how are you going to take care of things when things, you know, medical bills, things come up? I said, I guess we'll just have to trust God like we're going to have to do in Japan. <laughs> he said, that's fine. He said, that's good. He said, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. He says, but if you're going to take that position, he says, then do this. He says, don't ever ask anybody for it. You have a need. Don't ask anybody for it. You take it to God and him only. And what's he saying? He's saying, he said, you know, I mean, he didn't know, and we didn't know we we're going to have 12 kids. <laughs> I mean, but I can spin a sob story. I can put in my prayer letters, you know, we, we really should be back in the States on furlough. We just don't have, you know, 15 grand to plop down on plane tickets. So, you know, if you could help us out with that, or, you know, I've, I, uh, I'm having a fundraiser, and so I'm putting out, uh, uh, you know, Japanese prints or something, or, or, uh, you know, I got a bar graph up on the wall, you know, how, or a little chart, you know, how far we're going to go, you know, if you would just, you know, commit to, you know, $5 or whatever, we're going to have a rockathon, I don't know, whatever, you know, but you know, something, you know, but what we did is we, that was like a rocking chair rockathon, not the music, okay, something other than God, working out on my own, I can do that, uh, but I took I took his advice to heart, and so when something big happened, whether it was suburban or whatever it was, we take it to the Lord. Sometimes just my wife and I. Sometimes we bring the family around and say, "This is what we this is what we need. Let's take it to God and see what He does." When we were going to go to Japan, we had uh, we had you know uh, pastors always ask us you know stupid questions. Uh, I mean, uh, there's. There are stupid people say no stupid questions. There are there are things with stupid questions. You know, say so, brother. Well, hi. When are you gonna When are you gonna get to Japan? And we say, well, pastor. You know, as soon as you and all your friends start supporting us, we'll be glad to get there. But we can't say that. We have to say, well, we're praying about uh, a couple of years from now or whatever. Uh, but here's what I did. I, I told the Lord. I said, when you provide the plane tickets, I'll know it's time to go. 
Uh, I didn't know how long that was going to be. But I knew we needed plane tickets to get to Japan because I wasn't taking a boat. Amen. Uh, so we needed plane tickets to get there. And so when God provided them, I know it was time to go. In uh, ni- uh, 2007, uh, Brother Smith had come back on furlough, and we knew by this time we we're going to be working with him in Japan. And he had another family working with them at the time, and they they had uh, uh, getting ready to leave and go start a new ministry. So it was a perfect time to switch over the house that they were renting. Uh, that Smith had rented, uh, we would just rent, and everything just fit in nicely into my box. And uh, so we had everything except the plane tickets, and then, uh, so this is going to be in April 2008 when we're supposed to leave, and being a man of faith, I scheduled a missions conference all the way through the end of March, <laughs> just to give God time to work, you know, he's, he's a little slow sometimes, so uh, give God time to work and, and fit my my idea. And so uh, we went to this missions conference, and everything fell apart. Uh the, the house that uh, we were supposed to get, the owners wanted to sell it and not rent anymore, uh, so we didn't have a house. Uh, we didn't have our visas yet, and it was taking forever. A certificate of eligibility uh, had not been approved, which means they, they might not even let us come. Uh, and so I saw, we had nothing. We didn't have plane tickets. We are supposed to leave in a month. And this last missions conference we were at, the pastor came to me, and he said, Brother Will, he said, um, he said let me tell you, uh, we do something a little bit different here. He said, what we do is that we, we have um, uh, all the missionaries get up at the end of the night. Our pe- people love to give, and they like to meet needs, but they have to know what those needs are. So well, what we're going to do is you're going to get up at the end of the message. You're going to tell everybody what your needs are. I said, Pastor, I don't do that. I, what I do is I need to take it to the Lord. And he said, this is my missions conference. This is what you're going to do. And I said, yes, sir, okay. <laughs> and I talked to the Lord about it, and I got peace on it. He said, well, if someone's asking you, maybe that's my answer to you. <laughs> Okay. So we got up at the end of the night. I said to uh, everyone else, you know, some guy sent like, he needed an RV for deputation. And people said, you know, we're looking for this, we're looking for that. And so I got up and said, well, uh, I need a new laptop. I said, mine's about to die. I said, you know, anything used is fine. Uh, anything that, uh, you know, would be great. Uh, uh, the missionary said we need uh, clothes for the next size up for the kids. And we need socks and shoes and belts and underwear and, and jeans and and, uh, and, and I said, uh, and we need, uh, we're planning on going next, next month. We don't have our plane tickets yet. Uh, and so that was it. Uh, I don't remember the exact order of all the events that week, but Brother Smith called me that week and said, hey, your certificate of eligibility has been approved. He said, it'll be, uh, it'll be probably several weeks before you have your visas. Uh, it takes that long. Within two or three days, our visas had come in. Uh, the, we went back to our table, and, and there were bags of clothes of, of different sizes for all the kids, and and a man came to me and said, "Brother Well, Heidi said um, uh, I bought this laptop that's brand new. I bought it uh, just uh, last week. I don't know why it was such a good deal, though. I couldn't pass it up. But now I know God had it for you in mind." And uh, and Brother Smith called back and said, "He said, hey, we found a house for you. It's about three times the size of the one, but the rent's the exact same price. Is that okay?" I'm like, yeah, Amen. Yeah, that's all right. That's fine. Uh, and and. Um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, a man came up to me and said, Brother Will Height, you can tell, stop telling people that you need plane tickets because I'm going to buy every last one of them. And I'm the nobody from nowhere. And we just sat back and watched God do things that only He could do, things that only He knew about. Why was that important? Because when the yen rate dropped... And we lost 30% of our buying power within six months of being there. 
and we've got through our first winter and we need kerosene to heat the house and we don't have any money to buy it. And we take our family and we sit around and we say, Father, we know you put us here because you bought the plane tickets. We know where we're supposed to be. We need kerosene. And the next day he provides kerosene. Lord, we didn't ask for these children. We gave you the number and timing. Uh, we, don't, the, we don't have money for food. And a man in our church just happened to be one of the 300 people in an island of five and a half million that has a rifle license and loves to hunt. And for two years, I lived off of venison backstraps and hind roasts. Amen. <laughs> I didn't know what chicken tasted like. I forgot. <laughs> Why? Because I can go to God and say, I, I, I know I'm in your will because you did this. You put us here. You gave us these kids. You bought the plane tickets. You said you would provide our needs, and this is a need. We don't have any debt. We don't have any credit cards. We don't have any backup plans. All we have is God. It says in the passage, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Can I say that I will take God's foolishness over men's wisdom any time? I will take God's weakness over men's strength at any time. I tell our kids all the time, if God fails us this time, it'll be the first time, but he won't because he's God. And he's always faithful. I know my heart, if I had a big credit card or a big uh, backup plan, I would have used it. Man, this deputation thing stinks. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's just go to the field. I'll buy the plane tickets. And then when everything goes south, then I'm like, oh, did I make a mistake? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But when I see God do things that only He can do, and I know that He did them when we're in the storm, I'm fine and I'm content. Because I know He's with me. He's walking me through it. Lots of missionaries failed today, and I think a lot of them do simply because they've never learned to leave things in God's hands. Some of it's the mission board philosophies where they got to have everything just taken care of, everything just right, and all this and that and put in place. And then when things go south, they don't know who sent them there. If you want to be someday where you survive and you're still in the mission field after 13 years and people call you a missionary, a veteran missionary, you're going to have to learn to call on God to do things that only He can do. told you that God has given this church a responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. I did the math not too long ago and it's really just kind of amazing. If you take 20, 20 of you in here, just 20, and this year you focus on one person. God give me one soul that I can win to Christ. That I can witness to. That I can pray for. That I can fast over. Give me one name in my mind. Let me lead them to Christ. And that person comes to Christ this year. That's only one. One person this year. And then next year you do the same thing. You teach everybody else to do the same thing. So next year you got 40 people. Next year you got 80. In 30 years, you know how many you got? Over 10 billion. 
when God said, Lighthouse Baptist Church has a responsibility to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he meant it. And he made it possible that within one generation, you can reach the world with the gospel. God lay somebody on your heart. Is there a family member that you need to witness to? Co-worker? Somebody that you've been hedging on? Holy Spirit's been prompting you, convicting you? If the Holy Spirit's telling you to, guess what? He's probably already been working on it. He just needs you to be the mouthpiece. You can reach the world in this generation. This church all by itself. God has given you everything you need.